0: The sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross is the greatest single moment in the history of the entire universe. What does Solomon teach us about its cost? What did it accomplish for Israel? What did it accomplish for the body of Christ? These questions and much more will be covered by our host, Dr. Bill Petrie on this edition of Differing Things. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 22 states, And did eat and drink before the Lord on that day with great gladness. And they made Solomon the son of David king the second time, and anointed him unto the Lord to be the chief governor, and Zadok to be priest. First Kings chapter 8, verses 62 and 63 state, And the king and all Israel with him, offered sacrifice before the Lord, and Solomon offered a sacrifice of peace offerings, which he offered unto the Lord, two and twenty thousand oxen, and a hundred and twenty thousand sheep. So the king and all the children of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. Second Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 1 states, Moreover he made an altar of brass 20 cubits the length thereof and 20 cubits the breadth thereof and 10 cubits the height thereof in 2nd chronicles chapter 7 verse 1 4 and 5 and 9. Now when Solomon had made an end of praying the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord and King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 20 and 2000 oxen and a 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God and in the eighth day, they made a solemn assembly, and they kept the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. In those chapters of the book of Chronicles that we have already seen Solomon so lavishly and overflowingly dealt with by God because he had in view one greater than solomon whom he was seeking to interpret to men by way of illustration so also in the different records of solomon's reign we find the intimation of the greatness of the cross given by god by the same means of illustration the great altar pointing to the cross is brought into view And then, in the double connection, the exaltation of the king, in the consecration of the house of God, the greatness of the significance of that altar is intimated by the immensity of the sacrifice. We but glance in passing at that double connection of the cross. Its greatness is seen firstly related to the enthronement of the king. There is a good deal about that in the New Testament, that enthronement, that exaltation, being because of that immense work which was accomplished in the cross. Philippians chapter 2, verses eight through 10 state, obedient unto death, yea, the death of the cross, Wherefore also God highly exalted him and gave unto him the name, which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth. And secondly, we see how the house of God is established upon the greatness of the cross. And how both Israel and the body of Christ take its significance from the cross. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 6 through 8 state, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. According to the riches of his grace, wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. We just read something about how the body of Christ takes its significance in the Ephesian epistle, which has more to do with the glory given to the body of Christ than a lot of other of Paul's epistles you can find that the very foundations of the body of Christ are in the cross of the Lord Jesus. I leave that for the moment and seek to speak for for a brief amount of time about the greatness of the cross. We are impressed when we read of the sacrifice which was made by Solomon. It is almost bewildering to think about it battalions upon battalions of oxen the highways must have been thronged with cattle and with sheep during those days for there were thousands upon thousands it does not do to let our imagination dwell upon that there must have been literally rivers of blood It is a terrible picture. And but for the moral support which was found in the meaning and spiritual value of it, I am quite sure the priests during those days must have been overwhelmed by the ghastliness of it. They could only have gone through the slaying of the thousands and thousands and thousands of oxen sheep, and lambs, with the support given by the realization of what it meant, all that which is beyond our imagination, and we do not want to dwell upon it too much, is indicative in the type of how great the cross of the Lord Jesus is. It should lead us to think again. If that is a type of the cross a type of Christ, the offering for sin. And if it is true that types are always far less than that which they typify, how great must the cross be? By mere logical deduction, the cross and the divine mind must be immense. And yet, we are distinctly told that all that offering in Solomon's day both at his enthronement and at the dedication of the temple and all that had led up to it through many generations from the first recorded sacrifice the offering of Abel and every subsequent sacrifice aggregating millions in number was unavailing any sense of finality it was unavailing in two ways first because it never reached an end it had to be repeated again and again and again and again there was no end to this thing yes this morning the sacrifice has been offered And perhaps for the moment, it has secured a kind of ceremonial adjustment to God, an acknowledgment of God which is taken account of by Him. But it has to be repeated this evening, and again tomorrow, and every morning, and evening throughout all life. And when life at its longest is finished, the thing is not concluded. The next generation must take it up and go on. And then the next, and so on. In this second and included sense, it was unavailing, in that it never really dealt with conscience. That is, it never rolled the burden of sin from the conscience. It was merely external and ceremonial. It was religion, which, though very thorough, going, had really no relatedness to the inner life. Hebrews 99 states, gifts and sacrifices that cannot, as touching the conscience, make the worshipper perfect. Positively and definitively, it was unavailing. And look at the immensity of it. I say again that it is overpowering to contemplate all that tremendous offering made by Solomon. But then gather up the generations. Then come to these simple but marvelous statements. Hebrews 9.26 Once at the end of the ages has he been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews 10.10, the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Hebrews 10.12, when he had offered one sacrifice for sins, for the eon, sat down on the right hand of God, one offering and only one. What a work that must be if in one single act it does what all this other in its immensity through generations has never been able to accomplish. By one offering, he has perfected for the eon them that are sanctified according to Hebrews 10.14. All the other, it says, could never make the worshippers perfect. But he, by one offering, perfected for a finality. What a sacrifice. What a cross. Twenty and two thousand oxen. And all the thousands of sheep and lambs. Yes, but one single offering did it once for all. There is no harm in reiteration, in dwelling upon it, that we may really register the significance of this one single offering just one and all that other is swallowed up why one and once and for all well surely there is present in the one thing that which was absent in all the others what was that simply the full satisfaction of god in the matter of a perfect sacrifice. Although these animal sacrifices were ceremonially perfect, typically without spot or blemish, that related only to the physical side, they were selected sacrifices, which were of a special breed and pedigree, and from which there were absent certain flaws of mixture. But this was merely external. If you got right into the bloodstream, you would find the old creation there. Those oxen could fight as well as any others. It was there in the blood for the creation had been made subject to vanity through the sin of Adam. Only in a sort of ceremonial way were they perfect? But he, not ceremonially, but intrinsically perfect, offered himself, not ceremonially, but actually, without spot, unto God. In him, there was no corruption. In him, there was nothing but pure perfection. John 1430 states, the prince of the world comes and he has nothing in me. It was the essential, intrinsic perfection of humanity in the one offering which was not found in all the others. That was what God was looking for, a perfect being, a perfect human being, a perfect specimen one who in essential nature fully satisfied the thought of god in making man god found that in him and that being offered unto god there need be no more offering it was once and for all and for all time it is finished For God is satisfied. That is the great foundation of our faith. The greatness of the cross. In the light of who it is that is on that cross. For it is the greatness of Christ which gives the greatness to the cross. The greatness of the cross in such terms is the basis of our salvation, our hope, our justification, our righteousness. Then let us once and for all cease to look for perfection anywhere else in ourselves or in others and keep our eyes on the object which satisfies God, the sole and final object of his satisfaction. We must see the cross then in those divine terms, in its four dimensions, breadth and length in height and depth. And until we have so seen it, our salvation is still lacking in essential qualities and we as saved people will not be the people that god means us to be the next thing that i want to say is that the cross of our lord jesus is different from all their foreshadowing and typifying in the old testament and different from this immense representation in the days of solomon in this second respect that it is super historical that sounds technical but what i mean is that it is something bigger than time and time is only another word for history i wonder if you have noticed that in the earliest christian literature that is the epistles of the new testament for they bear that clearly in mind for it will make a lot of difference. Golgotha is never once mentioned. The story of the crucifixion, of the cross, is never referred to in the earliest Christian literature. References always made to the death of Christ, not to the crucifixion, nor Golgotha, but to the death there is a vast deal of difference. One is just historical, a fact, something that took place at a certain time, in a certain place, in the history of this world. That is the crucifixion and it is historical. The death of Christ is not that. The apostles, when they wrote their epistles, were occupied with something spiritual and not historical, universal and not local, non-ending and not just in time. They dealt with the death of Christ, and it is set in an immense setting against an immense background. The death is referred to a very great deal. And yet, the story of the death is never once told in the epistles. That is not without significance. And is because in the epistles, we have got away into the real realm of the meaning of the cross. The crucifixion was less than 40 years old when the epistles were written. I venture to think that if something like that had happened in our lifetime, and we were writing within 40 years of the event, we should tell the story, giving all the details, and saying what had happened, and where, and who was present. We should give the details that we have in the Gospels. And yet, the apostles, when they wrote their epistles, left all that out. Although they were writing on what happened, but with them, it was spiritual. It was in another realm altogether, for it was inner. The cross of the Lord Jesus was to them something infinitely greater than an historical happening on a hill outside Jerusalem. The way in which the death of Christ is introduced is simply Once at the end of the ages, has he been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, Hebrews 9, verse 26 states. Simple, but you see, it goes far beyond anything of time into anything local. Is it not remarkable that in their writings, they never make it a date in the calendar? It never was a date in their calendar, naturally. And yet, it was the thing that changed all calendars. To them, it was not just something historical, it was spiritual and much bigger than an event to be marked upon the calendar. Now let us get to something in the meaning of that. In the first place, In the cross of the Lord Jesus, all history is gathered up and transcended, and we are brought into the great realm of the divine sovereignty. Oh, I find such a tremendous uplift and release and emancipation as I contemplate more and more the sovereignty of God, especially working through grace. Here, in the cross of the Lord Jesus, we have the vindication of God and his choice of Israel. The story of Israel is history, but there is something behind that. There is the choice of Israel, for they were chosen from among all the nations and separated unto God, a sovereign act for a sovereign purpose. What was the purpose? Why did God choose Israel and separate them as a people unto himself? With one object, that by means of them he might reveal himself to all the nations and make them a blessing to all. That was God's purpose. And in order that they might fulfill that great purpose, they must be a separated people cut off from the nations, and having no communication with them. They must be a holy people, separated, distinguished, completely isolated in their moral and spiritual life from the nations. A people holy for God's possession, in order that they might bring God and revelation to all the nations. You see how essential their separation was for that? It is a principle, a law. If you are going to be an instrument, a channel, a vessel of divine revelation and blessing, you must be consecrated, sanctified, wholly cut off and separated unto God. Hence, Satan's persistent and continuous effort and labor to break down that distinctiveness and to get israel mixed up with the other nations round about the whole history of israel is the history of that effort of satan to spoil their consecration and when israel in decline lost the vision of their calling and purpose and that great divine intention concerning them faded from their view. Then they became mixed up with the nations. They intermarried and the wall of distinctiveness was broken down. And the prophets came in and proclaimed Israel's holy and elect calling in order to remind them of how God separated them unto himself from the beginning and to bring again into view the great thing which God had done in choosing them, and accordingly appealing to them to separate themselves again unto God and to destroy all this spiritual fornication. A very prominent idea in the language of the prophets to get rid of it, and again, be holy. You know, that the prophets are full of that. And what did Israel do with the prophets who preached their holy vocation and appealed for their return? They persecuted and killed them. And that is how we find things at the end of the Old Testament. And then he appeared, born of the seed of David, born under the law, A Jew, so far as things here on the earth are concerned. He was a Jew of Israel, holy, undefiled, separate from sinners. You see the wide setting. He has taken up in himself all that which Israel was called and chosen to do and to be. He is all that. And in offering that to God, what does he do? He fulfills Israel's whole destiny and brings God and the blessing to all the world. He is Israel in fulfillment. And this one God is vindicated in the choice of Israel, in the cross of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the sovereignty of God, is vindicated he has fulfilled all and god has been justified that is why he came to the of the seed of abraham and of the seed of david to vindicate vindicate god's choice of israel to bring a blessing to all the nations and in the cross of christ not only israel But the offer could go out to the other nations of the earth. They could receive the divine blessing which was ever God's thought for them. Nothing like that was possible in Jewish sacrifices. How great is this cross and how wonderful is the divine sovereignty? I wonder if you are drawing comfort from that wide application of the principle that in the sovereignty of God, all the tragedy and failure is met and overcome in Jesus Christ, and all the going wrong is accounted for in him. The Lord has simply swallowed it up, and now, not at this moment to Israel as a nation, but to every member of Of that ethnicity as to other ethnicities God says the tragedy of Jew and Gentile is taken up in the cross and by means of that cross I am vindicated after all in ever having created man men reason about this creation and say tragedy God's defeat God's failure God's mistake look at it. Why did God ever make this world in man? Did he not know what would happen, seeing how it has gone? He is not justified in having created this world. That is what men say. But as in Israel, so too in the whole race of humanity. The cross of the Lord Jesus is the vindication of God. And that is the meaning of such words as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world in Revelation 13.8. It means that God and the cross of the Lord Jesus took the whole history of this world and swallowed it up. For now, while the world is as it is, the sovereignty of God through the cross of the Lord Jesus would turn the tragedy to good account, the suffering to value. And then afterward, he would deliver the whole creation from its present condition. That leads us to the closing word. The cross of the Lord Jesus is not only super historical, it is extraterrestrial in its range. The word of God reveals to us that the world is not something in itself. And what is happening on this earth is not limited to the earth. What is revealed is that there is an immense struggle going on over, around, and outside this world for the government. The mastery of the universe intimations are given in such passages of scripture as Ephesians 6 and verse 12 world rulers of this darkness, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenlies. There is a conflict going on. We have intimations of it in the book of Daniel. Spiritual princes withstanding the archangel in relation to the Lord, Lord's interests as wrapped up in this world are seen in Daniel chapter number 10, verses 13 down through 20. Over and around this world, the struggle goes on for the mastery of the universe. The cross of the Lord Jesus had its meaning in that realm, in the spiritual realm, among the celestial beings. In his cross, he moved right out into those circumferences of spiritual conflict and contention when he stripped off from himself the principalities and the powers and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it, according to Colossians 2.15. It is in this vein that God created a new species of humanity called the body of Christ. Yes, when sin entered, it came to Adam and on the earth but before Adam had sinned a spiritual being had sinned and had defiled the Celestials it is with the raising up of a separate Apostle the Apostle Paul who was sent to the to the Gentiles with the revelation of his secret purposes for the Celestials that Jesus Christ the perfect sacrifice was given. Yes, right out in that realm, the cross of the Lord Jesus had its ultimate and supreme meaning. And the issue of the lordship of this universe was settled in the cross. So when the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which we are holding all the time in the background of our mind, we have it inclusively and comprehensively stated when he raised him from the dead and made him sit at his right hand in the celestials far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this eon but also in that which is to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. That comes from Ephesians 1, verses 20 through 22. That is the triumph of the cross. That is the range of the meaning of the value of the death of Christ. He in dying slew death. In being delivered to Satan, he overcame him. In going to the grave, he robbed the grave of its sting for time. Here is the sovereignty of God. How great it is. Superhistorical. Extraterrestrial. How great is the cross of the Lord Jesus? Who can describe it? And who can reach unto it? How great it is that he chose to reveal this greatest of all secrets to the chief of sinners, the one who was Satan's chosen vessel to eradicate this idea of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 9, on that road to Damascus, the grace of God appeared to one Saul of Tarsus. The chief of sinners. The foremost of sinners. One who was murdering followers of Christ. How great it was that God could raise up him. And when he raised up him, he also could raise up the Gentile nations. Those who were not part of Israel, who were foreigners and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God. He raised up those Gentiles to become a new entity that had never existed before. And that new entity would have the privilege. To be God's instrument to cleanse the celestials, the place where Satan's very rebellion began. But dear friends, while we contemplate it in that way, let it not remain merely as wonderful language and ideas. The Apostle Paul proclaimed the message of God that liberated humanity from the bondage of the law from the bondage of sin, and from separation from God. Hear his words of liberation given to us in the first four verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, since you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless... You have believed in vain, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also receive, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Oh, what this gospel based on the cross says in the language of hope and of certainty for us. Have you despaired of yourself, of others, or of this world? The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ answers all your despair. There is nothing impossible since Jesus died and was buried and rose again. You and I are not so impossible as we may have thought. No. Everything is possible since Jesus rose from the dead. In the resurrection, the seal of his universal triumph was given by God. Ours is a gospel of hope since Jesus died. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy formed us, And gave us a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, unto an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fades not away, reserved in the celestials for you. Does not Romans chapter 8, verses 21 through 23 state, because the creature itself also? Shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans in travails and pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. I have said nothing about the cross and the redemption of this creation. Between Israel and God's vindication in relation to Israel, on the one hand, In the body of Christ that extraterrestrial new creation on the other hand, there comes through Israel the redemption plan for the earth. And there comes through the body of Christ the redemption plan for the celestials. And in the cross, the redemption of all creation despite which realm is secured. Let me repeat that. In the cross, the redemption of all creation, every being that has ever been created, whether it's an earthly creature or a celestial creature, their redemption is secured. The vanity under which it lies, the curse and the corruption which are in it, have all been met in the cross of the Lord Jesus and overcome. And in him there will be an incorruptible creation. Our bodies is a part thereof and more than they, a whole creation. What a day that will be when all creation is delivered from the bondage of corruption, when the groaning and travailing and pain that it that is now in it gives place to a shout of deliverance and emancipation, when it will be glorified, The cross of Jesus will make all things, will make all beings who have ever lived, to be in him. The great apostle to the body of Christ proclaims this wonderful result of the cross. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 22 through 28. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And in context, that's the same all that were in Adam. But every man in his own order. Christ, the first fruits. Afterward, they that are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him, that put all things under him, that God may be all in awe." <laughs> I want to ask you this question. The last enemy that is destroyed is death. If there's death in any sense, that enemy isn't destroyed. And in Revelation, there is a death that is destroyed and that death is called the second death the second death is destroyed it is the death of death why because jesus christ won the victory this will be the result of the cross of the lord jesus It is a great cross, and with all our struggles to describe it, we cannot compass it. The Lord gives us a knowledge and appreciation of how great that one offering truly is, and it was made once and for all. It has been applied to all of us. What a great victory. What greatness was won in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good day and God bless. we want to thank you for listening to this week's differing things podcast if you would like to get more information about the bible please check out our website www.beacon-ministries.org do not forget to join us next week for a new differing things podcast